The second reading can be found on page 1015 and on page 18 in the booklets. It comes from Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, to chapter 2, verse 5. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit, and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith is in, in Christ is. This is the word of the Lord. God. Good evening, church. Nice to see you. My name is Paul. If I haven't met you, uh, please keep your Bibles open there at Colossians chapter 1. And why don't you just, where you are, just uh, take a moment by yourself and ask the Lord to speak to you personally tonight. Our Father, thank you that you long for us to know you and to keep on knowing you better. Father, thank you for this time now to sit under your word, to be fed, to be nourished, to be corrected, to be trained, to be built up. Father, we don't want to leave this place unchanged, so I ask that by the power of your spirit you might do a mighty work in us and through us. And we ask that for Jesus' sake. Amen. Uh, it's a big idea for tonight. Uh, filled with a deep, deep joy as you serve Jesus. Filled with this deep, deep joy as you live for Jesus and just serve Jesus wherever he takes you. Does that describe you tonight? A man or a woman who is filled with a deep joy that you get to serve Jesus today, tomorrow, the next day, wherever he takes you, you get to serve him. On the screen are three women who are filled with deep, deep joy in Jesus. The first one is called Sabina. Sabina Wormbrand. She is a Romanian 
destitute, poverty-stricken, uneducated lover of Jesus. Uh, she's married to, to Richard, if she was married to Richard Wormbrand, who founded Voice of the Martyrs, who we support. They support the persecuted Christians all around the world. And her love for Jesus just meant she took every single opportunity to teach about Christ and to proclaim Christ. It was in, um, she's, she's responsible for distributing a, a million gospel tracts to Russians, often disguised as, as communist propaganda. Many people heard the gospel through her. There's one occasion in 1945 where she's standing in a stadium with thousands of other people, thousands of communists, and she is asked to renounce her faith in Christ. But she stands up, she says, no, I believe in Jesus. And for that, she is imprisoned, she is tortured, she is beaten. But even there, even in prison, she talks about Jesus and leads people to Christ. She even led her own son to Christ. Let me share how that happened. Quote, her son is called Michael. Michael called his mother. Michael felt a lump in his throat when he saw her. Her shabby uniform hung loosely on her thin body. She was so dirty he could hardly recognize her. Yet when their eyes met, a familiar joy filled them for the first time in the two years. Michael took a deep breath, trying to hold back the tears. Michael, she called across the room. Michael, just believe in Jesus with all your heart. But before he could respond, the guards were dragging her away, angry at her words of faith. Tears rolled down his cheeks as he sobbed as his mother disappeared around the concrete wall. But seeing his mother's unwavering passion for Jesus, despite being in prison, the boy made a life-changing decision. It was at that moment that Michael Wormbrand welcomed the Lord Jesus Christ into his own heart. She's a great woman of faith. Deep joy in Jesus. The second woman is totally different. She is upper-class British well-educated, posh, educated at Cambridge University, but she too loves Jesus. Her name is Helen Rosevere. She loves Jesus so passionately, she just takes every opportunity to preach. She was called to the mission field in Zaire, and there she, she built a hospital that served thousands of people. She preached the gospel so many times. But her whole life and her whole ministry was shaped by one conversation she had when she arrived on the mission field, and I'll share it with you. A local Christian sat her down and said this, Helen, if you think you've come to the mission field because you are a little better than other people, or as the cream of your church, or because of your medical degree, or for the service that you can render the African church, or even for the souls that you may see saved, then you will fail. Remember, Helen, the Lord has only one purpose ultimately for each one of us, and that is to make us more like Jesus. He is interested in your relationship with himself. So let him take you and let him mold you as he will, and all the rest of your ministry will take his rightful place. 
And that just shaped her. She just realized that her relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ was a source of her joy and her identity and what she was all about. The last person, I haven't put the photo up there because a member of this church. And this lady is filled with the joy of the Lord and she just loves serving her saviour. You find her here on a Thursday at playtime with a, a baby strapped to her back. Uh, she meets with women to read the Bible one-to-one. She meets up with Christians who are struggling in their faith just to encourage them to listen, to pray. She invites people to Alpha. She's reading the Bible with unbelievers. She's caring. She's praying long days, long nights, all driven by this deep, deep, deep love for Jesus. And these three women, they inspire me because they are filled with this joy as they serve their saviour. This deep, personal, intimate, joyful relationship with Jesus just overflows in every part of their lives. And can I say, friends, there is no better way to live your life. There is no better way to spend your days than just taking every opportunity to serve Jesus. No better way than just to serve your glorious, majestic, risen, reigning Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you really believe that? Do you believe that living for Jesus and serving him is the best thing you can do? Now, for some of us here, and this keeps on blowing my mind, for some of us here, we actually get paid to do it. (laughs) Can you imagine that? Getting paid to preach and to pray and to teach what a privilege that is and if that is you hidden like never take that for granted the apostle paul was set apart for that kind of full-time ministry i'm sure the, the apostle paul the gospel ministry was not his chosen career path we know that but but one day he was on a road to damascus remember that story in acts 9 he's walking the road to damascus and suddenly he meets jesus has an encounter with the risen lord jesus and it's like the lord jesus christ taps him on the shoulder and says you're going to be mine and i'm going to use you to take the gospel to the gentiles that was his calling and you might be sitting here now thinking phew I am so glad that I'm not a Helen Rosevere or a Sabina Wormbrand. I'm so glad that God hasn't called me like the Apostle Paul that called him. And if you're thinking that, can I just humbly say you are totally wrong because he has called you. If you're here today as a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're here today and you've been washed in the blood of Jesus, if you're here today and you've experienced his grace, then every Christian man and Christian woman is just called to serve. Wherever God takes you, wherever God places you, in your workplace, in your home life, just calling to live for his glory, to live for your saviour. Now, not all of us will be called to full-time paid pastors or be sent as missionaries, but all of us here are called to serve our Lord Jesus Christ. To shine as lights in this world, to live such good lives among the pagans, to always be prepared to give an answer for the reason for the hope that we have, to encourage each other, to teach each other, to admonish each other, just to live these gospel-rich lives. So you might be here tonight as you know, someone who works in the city as a, a lawyer or a, a banker. As you do your work, you're commending Christ. You might be a teacher, and as you teach in your schools, you're commending Christ. You might be a a stay-at-home parent, and your role is to to raise your kids to know and love Jesus. You might be someone who is retired, but your role is just to spend time meeting with people for coffee to commend Christ to them. All of us here need to be convinced that 
loving the Lord Jesus Christ and, and spending time with our Saviour and being in his presence is the most precious thing we can do and making him known is the greatest need in the entire world. So fill with a deep, deep joy in serving our Saviour. We're going to work through this passage, but we're going to base it around the two central verses, verses 28 and 29, are on the screen. He, Christ, is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Now, to this end, I, Paul, strenuously contend with all the energy that Christ so powerfully works in me. Here are four ways to experience deep joy. Here's the first one. Proclaim the gospel of Christ. That was Paul's message, just Christ. Verse 20, he, Christ, is the one that we proclaim. Christ, only Christ, always Christ. You imagine Paul, wherever he is, he just wants to talk about Christ. That word for proclaim is the word herald or announce. So in the days before social media, in the days before email, people actually talked to each other. Can you imagine that? And Paul actually just got out there and just in every conversation just started to talk about Christ. Paul can't stop talking about Jesus, preaching the Christ. Who is the Christ he preached? The the Colossian Christ, the cosmic creator, the the ruler of the kingdoms, the the supreme over the church, the reconciler. How glorious is that Christ? The one who brings us forgiveness, the one who brings us peace, the one who brings us a reconciliation with our God. That is the mystery that Paul is going to proclaim. See that verse 26? The, The mystery that has been kept hidden like a secret that's hidden for ages and generations. So it was hidden from Abraham. It was hidden from Israel. It was hidden from David. But according to verse 26, it's now been disclosed or made known to the church, to God's people. Now what is this mystery that Paul is preaching? It's the mystery of Christ. That to them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles, among the non-Jews, among the people who were not God's people. They were far from God, without hope in this world. But Christ came and among the Gentiles, that glorious riches of this mystery was made known. That is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That is the, the most precious, beautiful message that every man and woman needs to hear whether you're Jewish or Gentiles, in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you can have Christ living in you, which is the hope of glory. Can I just say, friends, we we never tire of hearing the gospel of Christ, do we? You never get tired of hearing about what Christ has done for you, do you? And I hope that every day you, you preach that gospel to yourself before you preach it to other people. Because our watching world desperately needs to hear how much they are loved by God and how much Christ has done for them in bringing them hope and grace and forgiveness and peace. Uh, George Whipple says this, Other men may preach the gospel better than me, but no one can preach a better gospel. Now, you might be sitting here saying, well, look, I just don't have to do that, Paul. How do I proclaim Christ in your own way? 
with your own story. Let me show you about a lady who came to faith in her 70s, an African lady who came to faith in her 70s, and she just loved Jesus so much, she just wanted to explain the gospel, but she didn't know how to do it. She was handicapped, she was blind, and she was in her 70s. So here's what she did. She got her French Bible, and she took her French Bible to a missionary couple, and she said, I I can't read because I'm blind, but can you open my Bible to John 3.16, and can you underline John 3.16 in in a red pen? And they're thinking, what the heck? And this old lady then chooses to sit outside of a school every single day at four o'clock as the schoolboys are coming out. And the schoolboys come out of their school and this old lady says, anybody here speak French? And these proud schoolboys say, oh, I speak French. And so she calls them over and says, look, I'm blind. Could you just open my Bible? And there's a, a, there's a verse there underlined in red. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. And he says, do you understand what that verse means? And it said she led many, many people to Christ. In fact, 24 men became pastors through her. And I don't know who you are, but you have an opportunity every day of your life just to proclaim Christ, to make him known. And if you struggle to do that, an easy invitation is just to invite them to Alpha and to let somebody proclaim Christ on your behalf. Here's the second thing. You proclaim Christ, you present people maturing Christ. You see that goal? Paul's goal in life is to present everyone fully mature in Christ, verse 28. That word for present there, it's it's the word used when a father gives away his daughter at a wedding. You ever seen that happen? He hands her over. And Paul almost imagines standing before the Lord Jesus Christ on that last day, handing over all these men and all these women who he's led to Christ and matured in Christ. He's so excited to be able to introduce all these Christians to their saviour face to face. That is his greatest joy. I love the verse in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 where where Paul says, what is our joy, what is our crown uh, in, in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ when he comes? And you expect him to say his joy and his crown is seeing Jesus. But he doesn't say that. He says, our joy and our crown, is it not you, you Thessalonian Christians? Because he just has this picture of this joy of handing over people fully mature in Christ. All people, everyone, fully mature, completely mature. That's his passion. He's not just about conversions. He's about sanctification. It's not, I'll save them, you raise them. It's like, I want to save them and raise them. I'm going to devote my life to see people growing in their faith. Is that your passion? To see fellow Christian men and women know Jesus better. Now, we don't need anything more than Jesus, but all of us need more of Jesus. A deeper, richer knowledge of, who, of how glorious Christ is. I was challenged by what a, a writer called Sam Storms wrote about this verse. He said this. If one were to look closely at many churches today, and assess the shape and form of ministry, verse 28 would likely need to be rewritten as follows. Christ we mention only in passing, lest we offend seekers or sound excessively religious. 
And rather than warning and teaching people, we just seek to please and entertain them so they might feel good about themselves and be reassured that all is well in this world. We need people to know Christ, to know Christ better, because according to chapter 2, verse 3, in Christ are hidden all treasures of wisdom and all treasures of knowledge. Do you believe that verse? That in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have everything you need to live wisely and to know God well. As you plumb the depths of who Christ is, you keep on digging and finding riches and silver and gold, all these treasures of wow. This is what it means to live for Jesus and to know God well. See, Paul believed the heart of any believer was their relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. He just wanted to know Christ better. So how did he do it? Three ways. They're all in verse 28. Two of them in verse 28. Admonishing. That's the first way. That that word admonish, it means to to warn and to correct and to criticize, to, to undo wrong teaching and to challenge sinful behavior. Admonishing is not a task that the Apostle Paul shrunk away from because he cared. He didn't just cuddle, he challenged. It's the most loving thing to do when you spot a brother or sister in Christ and they have a wrong thinking. You've got to challenge that. Or if they're living sinful lives habitually, you've got to, got to correct that. And I'm so thankful for the, for the men and women who have admonished me People who sat me down, I think one person sat me down and really, really admonished me about embellishments and exaggerations in my speech. Praise God for that. Or the person who pulled me aside and said, I think triathlon's becoming an idol for you. Praise God for that. Or the person who loved me enough to point out pride in my life. Admonishing is a beautiful thing to do. Teaching is a beautiful thing to do, verse 28. Teaching is a word where you impart knowledge. You, According to verse 25, you're, you're presenting the, the word of God in its fullness, that you look for every opportunity to, to open the word of God and allow the spirit of God to teach the people of God. And Paul just looked for chances to teach about Christ. Does that shape your calendar? Looking at this week, are you thinking, how can I teach someone about Jesus? Can I use that lunchtime to meet with someone, to read the Bible with them, to pray with them, to encourage them? Can I get to connect groups so they can know Jesus better? So he admonished, he taught. And a third way is, is I think, is hidden in chapter 2, verse 2. Look at it with me. He says, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love. So united in, in Christian love so that they may have the, the full riches of complete understanding, fully mature in Christ, in order they may know the mysteries of God, namely Christ. And what he's saying there is that one way that we mature in our faith is by being united in love, being encouraged by heart. He's saying you can't do the Christian life by yourself. You need church. You need each other. You see, the problem is a danger in church. It's a danger in this church, in every church, in the Colossian church. And the danger is deception. That's what Paul says in verse 4. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. Now, I'm pretty sure that you are not deceived by the telephone scammer who wants your money or the 
email saying, can you, can you give $10,000 to Nigerian pastors? I'm, I'm sure you're not taken in by those deceptions, but we sit here and we need to be really, really aware of what we're being taught. Because in some churches, you are taught that, you know, yes, you need Christ, but you need more than Christ. Or you need Christ, but actually Christ won't mind if you continue to dabble in that sin. He does mind. And we're surrounded by a world that says that Christ is just, the, just one way to God. No, he's not. He's the only way to God. And it's easy for the, the psychology of the world just to infiltrate the church. So all these courses that we run, and they are fantastic courses, the marriage course, the parenting course, living single course, divorce care, grief care, they're fantastic courses, but they must, they must point people to Christ. So I want to ask you, who are you doing this with? Who are the Christians that you are meeting up with to admonish and to teach and to love well to see them grow and flourish in their faith? And when you do it, you feel with deep joy because you see the Spirit of God change people. Here's the third point. You want deep joy in serving? Yes, you proclaim and yes, you present people. Thirdly, you experience pain. Pain for Christ. Because living for Jesus and serving Jesus is hard work. It is joyful work, but it is exhausting work. It's the best work, but it will always, always involve suffering. Look what Paul says, to this end, as he proclaims, as he presents, to this end I strenuously contend. And the word there is I labor to the point of exhaustion. It's the, it's the picture of the, the athletes at the Olympic Games. Have you ever seen the athletes at the Olympic Games? They, they just press harder and harder and harder with every ounce of their strength. You do not see an Olympic athlete cross the finish line with lots of energy left. They've got nothing left. They're totally spent. And I don't think Paul wants to cross the finish line of life full of all this energy, looking back at the missed opportunities to, to share the gospel or to encourage a believer. He just wants to pour himself out for the sake of the church and for the sake of his saviour. And he says in verse 1 of chapter 2, I want you to know, it's so personal, I want you to know how hard I'm contending for you. I'm exhausted, he says. But he wants them to know, not for sympathy and not for admiration, but as a model. This is what it's like to serve Jesus. And pain for Christ always shows itself in two separate ways. One is called suffering and one is called striving. As a Christian, we, we should expect suffering. Verse 24 is an amazing, almost incomprehensible verse. He says, I, I rejoice. I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you. What does that mean? Well, this man suffered. He suffered rejection, hardship, slander, loss, conflict, stonings, beating, imprisonments, shipwrecked. But he's rejoicing in that. Why? He explains, I, I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. Now, that is one of the most debated Sentence of all scripture. We, we do know what this verse does not mean. So Paul is not saying that his suffering makes up for anything lacking in the atoning sacrifice of Christ. Now Jesus' sacrifice was sufficient and complete. It is finished. So he's not talking about salvation. He's talking about serving. The work of Christ is done. You can't add to it. But you can proclaim it. It's a bit like a scientist, you know, who 
discovers his amazing cure. There's no point in keeping that cure in the laboratory, is it? He has to be available to take across the whole world. And the person who takes out that cure for cancer, whatever it is, they might have to labour and toil and risk their lives. They're not adding to the scientist's work, but they are completing that work by making it known. That's what he's talking about. In his suffering, he is making Christ known. That's what happens when Christians suffer. You ever seen a Christian suffer well? And when you see them suffer, and yet they have the joy of the Lord in them, and you see them suffer, and yet God holds on to them, and God refines them, and it spurs you on, doesn't it? I know many people have come to Christ because they've watched a Christian suffer, but they have this joy and this peace in believing as they suffer. It is good for us to suffer. There's a verse in Philippians that we all love. Philippians 3, verse 10. I want to know Christ. And we love that bit of the verse. I want to know Christ and the, fellow, and, and the, and the, the, the power of his resurrection. We love that bit. Know Christ, know the power of his resurrection. Yes, please, Lord. What about the last bit? The fellowship of sharing his sufferings? We don't like that bit, do we? But as we suffer and when we suffer, it is good for us. Because it, it throws us again at the foot of the cross and, and throws us into dependence on Jesus. As Helen Roosevelt suffered, she said this. I wasn't praying, I was beyond praying. If I'd prayed any prayer, it would have been, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But back home, people were praying for me. And as they did, I realized that God was with me. I knew with every ounce of my being that God was actually there. In all his majesty, in all his power, he stretched out his arms to me and surrounded me with his love. And he seemed to whisper to me, 20 years ago, Helen, you asked for me for the privilege of being a missionary. Well, this is it. Don't you want it? The privilege of being identified with our saviour. He said, these are not your sufferings. They are not your beatings. They are my sufferings. And all I ask you is, to, is the loan of your body. He didn't take away pain or cruelty. No, it was all there, but now it was altogether different because it was with him and for him and in him. And he was offering me the inestimable privilege of sharing in some tiny way the fellowship of his suffering. So if we are commending Christ and we are presenting people, we will suffer. And we must strive. That's the word used in verse 29, strenuously contending or striving. The same words in 2 verse 1, you know how hard I'm contending for you. The word there is wrestling or agonizing. It's the same word used in chapter 4 verse 12 of Epaphras, wrestling in prayer. It's exhausting hard work as we just seek to make Christ known. There's a pastor who has a, a newspaper cutting a headline on his wall in his study. It just says these three words, sheer hard work. And it is. And what is true for every minister is true for every man and woman who follows Jesus. It's just hard work. It was said of Martin Luther that he never made his, his bed for an entire year because he was just so exhausted every single night from serving Jesus. And the great evangelist D.L. Moody, his nighttime prayer was this as he rolled into bed. This was it. Lord, I'm so tired. Amen. 
You know, there are 30,000 people who live in Utah Bay and Cuba who do not yet know Christ. There's an army of us here who do know Christ. And yet it will be tiring and yet it will be exhausting. But the joy of just serving. I'm so blown away by many of you who work full-time long jobs and then come here on a Sunday morning or Sunday afternoon to serve in kids' church. Thank you for that. For those of you who come up to the prayer meeting because you believe that something amazing is going to happen, that those prayer meetings are having worked long, long days, thank you for that. For those who give your hours to meet with people, to disciple them, thank you for that. Serving Jesus is exhausting, but it's exhilarating. And wrestling in prayer with people is exhausting and exhilarating. I reckon if you spent just a week shadowing the Apostle Paul, you'd find it very uncomfortable. He had this massive heart for Jesus, this massive heart for people. And he's constantly working to encourage, to build up, to evangelize, to pray. Sleepless nights, but endless joy. Because he cared. And I wonder whether you've got that heart. A heart for his people, a heart for your saviour that you just labour and labour and pour yourself out. And as I look at you, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm watching people in their mind going, come on, Paul, be very careful, it's exhausting, be careful of burnout, you need to get balance. Of course you need all that. But what you need most of all is our fourth point tonight, which is the power of Christ. None of this can happen without the power of Christ in your life. If you try and do this proclaiming and presenting and dealing with pain without the power of Christ, you will just falter and fall. But this is not our work, it's Christ's work. And it's not our strength, it's Christ's strength. Do you see that? With all of his energy that so powerfully works in me. If you try and serve Jesus without the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, you will fail. That is why people are exhausted because they are not spending time with Jesus and drinking from the well of Jesus and being filled with the power of the Spirit. But when you do that, it is so energising and exhilarating. There's a buzzword at the moment. It's called sustainable sacrifice. And it's a good word. We make sacrifices for Jesus to serve him, but at the same time, it must be sustainable. You must protect yourself. There's lots of truth in that. We must not burn out. We need to hear this because lots of evangelical Christians are workaholics. But I think there's something missing in that phrase. It's sustainable, spirit-filled sacrifice because we need the power of the Holy Spirit to come into us and to equip us and to empower us just to live for him tomorrow and the next day and the next day because without his power, you will fail. The great Methodist minister, W.E. Sangster, was interviewing men and women for gospel ministry. And an interesting man came to him and said this, I want to explain that I've been called to be a pastor, but I'm rather a shy person, and I'm not the kind of person who will set the Thames on fire, the River Thames in London. And Sangster said this, he said, my dear young man, I'm not interested to know if you can set the Thames on fire, But what I do want to know is this. If I picked you up by the scruff of the neck and if I dropped you into the Thames, would the Thames sizzle? 
i.e. are you filled with the fire of the Holy Spirit? Is the Spirit setting you on fire for, for, for ministry? Is your ministry overflowing from a heart that's so in love with Jesus and on fire for Jesus and filled with the Spirit of Jesus? Is that describing you? Do you, do you love to spend time each day in the presence of your Saviour, filling yourself up, drawing from the well of just knowing Jesus and just praying, Spirit of God, fill me, flood me, equip me, empower me to serve you today? Because that's what you need, that's what I need. After many years in the mission field, feeling totally exhausted, Helen, Helen Rosevear wrote this. A sensitive national pastor saw the symptoms of burnout and invited me to spend a week in prayer and fasting at his home. After several days, the Lord broke through. As we earnestly prayed, slowly the Spirit of God reached through into my heart and broke down those barriers of pride and revealed so much of myself. And he helped me to unburden my heart, to reveal all the rottenness, all the sense of failures, all the fears, all the criticism, all the pride, all the selfishness. And then gently and quietly, the Spirit of God led me to look away from myself and to look again to the Christ of Calvary. And he dealt with me there, this need for restitution and refreshment for my soul because now I was serving in his strength and not my own. You know when I stand to preach every week? Just before I stand to preach, I pray two very simple prayers every single week. First one is this. Lord, may they see Jesus. Simple as that. Lord, may they just see Jesus. Not me, may they just see Jesus. But the second prayer is this. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come, Holy Spirit, would you equip me and empower me and strengthen me to preach your word faithfully and boldly tonight. Come, Holy Spirit, would you wash over your people, wash over this church tonight and open their eyes and soften their hearts. Would you teach them, rebuke them, correct them? Do your work here, Holy Spirit, because without it, nothing will happen. And it's the same for you tomorrow morning and Tuesday morning and Wednesday morning as you get out just to live for Jesus. You need the power of Spirit in your life to equip you and to empower you just to serve him. Yeah, it's hard work but it's spiritual work and it's joyful work because we get to share the best news in the world. We get to proclaim Christ and we get to present people perfect in Christ and we get to experience pain for Christ, which is good for us. But most of all, we're empowered by the Spirit of Christ. So why don't you pray by yourself now and ask that the Spirit might teach you through his word tonight. Oh Lord, we need you. Spirit of God, we need you to fill us and to equip us and to empower us with everything we need just to live for you and to serve you. As we go about our lives tomorrow and this week, would you give us opportunities to proclaim Christ and to present our brothers and sisters perfect in Christ and whatever pain you bring our way, Lord, would you help us to endure that for the sake of Christ and but most of all, Lord, just fill us with your energy and your power that comes from your spirit. 
in Jesus' name.